0: Most of us here may have come across a guy called uh, Bill Wilson who started kids clubs across America and in fact the model kids club that we have run in the north of the city um, was based on what he started and he's reported to have said the following, everyone under the age of 30 are idiots. He's definitely said He's not just reported as saying it. He's definitely said it. Mark can confirm that. Now for us, fortunately, all of our elders are just now over 30. Mr. Mason just turned 30 a few days ago. So I haven't just insulted them. But I might have insulted a few other people. I myself am over 30. I think the point that Bill Wilson is driving at is that with age comes a certain amount of wisdom. And that when we're younger we perhaps think we're more wise than we actually are which therefore makes us a bit foolish i can i can kind of i, I assign to that i can i can believe that i can go with that but my personal experience as well it's kind of it runs together my personal experience is that as i get older i also feel more incapable more aware of my failings and more aware of my weaknesses does that make sense And so there is is something about about wisdom that comes with age. There's something else that comes, which seems to be an awareness of our weaknesses. But there's wisdom in that. So when we come to passages, like we're reading here, I get very encouraged. I get very encouraged indeed, because this is a promise from God in his word for wisdom for us as the people of God. So I get very encouraged as someone who feels often exceptionally foolish That God promises me wisdom. And perhaps here today, you may be feeling a little foolish. Maybe not. But the promise of God for you today is that wisdom is available. So let's read from the start of James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks... He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. Now, because of my introduction, and because of the way we think, we will naturally have been drawn to the promise in the middle of this about wisdom from God. But in order to get hold of the fullness, in order to really understand that, we need to make sure we get that in the midst of the context of the passage that James is bringing here. And really what James is trying to do, in the broadest sense, sense, is bring encouragement to believers. So today, for us who love Jesus and want to follow him, this is about encouraging believers. What is he encouraging? He wants to encourage believers to persevere through trials... To bring us through to maturity. So he's not actually writing this bit of the Bible. He's not writing it just to say there is wisdom from God. It's not like an abstract, irrelevant, out of context promise. It's something that is tightly knit into the need for us to persevere and to grow into maturity. In other words, wisdom is not an end in itself. It's not something we should necessarily be aiming for to be wise. But wisdom is a means to an end. It was the same for Solomon, who famously was the most wise king. If we turn to 1 Kings three nine, Solomon didn't see wisdom purely as something to be obtained, but something that he needed to do what God had called him to do, so that he could persevere, so that he could grow to maturity, so that he could be all that God had asked him to be. And God had come to Solomon and said to him, As the king of my people, I will give you anything you want. An amazing, amazing thing that God does for him. And Solomon's response to this most significant question is very helpful. So he says in 1 Kings 3, verse 9, So, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours. Solomon is aware at a very young age that he needs to lead the people of God. He's aware of his failings. He's aware of his weaknesses. He's aware of his foolishness. So he doesn't ask God for wisdom or for military victories. Sorry, he doesn't ask God for power, for money, or for military victories. He asks him for wisdom, which in this Context here, and what it he says here, is to discern between wrong and right, which is a helpful biblical definition of wisdom. To discern between wrong and right. It is a means to an end. He wants to achieve the purposes that God has got for him. So he's asking God for wisdom. He's asking God to enable him to discern between right and wrong. So before we go any further, there's a question for us to answer today. Is What is our approach... To wisdom. Are we just thinking, I want wisdom from God so I can be considered wise? So that people can come to me and say, hmm, sagely Ben, come and give me advice. Or, actually, is it because James James is laughing quite heartily at the concept of me being sagely? His his laughter is appropriate. Um, Or, are we thinking... God has called us to something, God has given us a responsibility, God just wants us to live as the people of God, and we need his help. We need to be able to discern between wrong and right. We need his wisdom. Is that the focus we have when we approach this passage? The other thing that the other reason James is encouraged, I guess the why to his encouragement is because they are facing trials. Because they're facing testing, they've got some tough circumstances, and he wants to make sure they don't fall back. He wants to make sure they persevere, that they stick with it and go with it. And that's true for us, I guess. We can be people, at this point in time, facing a variety of different trials. And over life, there'll be big ones, there'll be small ones. And the encouragement from Scripture today, in this context, is for us to persevere and to stick with it, so that we might be built up and gain maturity. But it's a difficult, difficult, difficult phrase to really get your head around and to kind of live out. I don't know about you. When, he, when James says, consider it pure joy to face trials, you go, yep, tick that one off the list. Dead easy. I've, I, there's a battle here, isn't there? There's something to be fought. And there's a, real, there's a real complexity in to really understand this in the midst of life, in the midst of personal challenges, to really say, I consider it pure joy when I face trials. Fortunately for me... Some of our elders have covered that ground very helpfully recently. What we'll do today is just pick up the point that James makes and the reason and his logic behind why he feels that we can count trials as pure joy. And in order to help us do this, I need to introduce you to a concept called fartlex. Now, for those who are slightly more juvenile, Rachel Mayton being one, that would just cause a giggle straight off. Now, fartleks. Now, I'm looking for a, 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 some recognition for who knows what a fartlek is. Carrie does. Tracy does. Who is willing to demonstrate what a fartlek is? Some people think, well, after Christmas dinner yesterday, I thought, I no, that's not the sort of fartlek we're talking about. Fartlek is a Swedish word meaning speed play. And it is a training technique to increase your stamina and your speed as a runner. So I'm tempted at this point in time to run around the building to demonstrate it but because I'm kind and because I don't want to damage the time like I won't but the basic concept is is that you would run at 100% for 100 yards, then you drop down to 25% for another 100 and then you'd raise it to 75% for another 100 and so on and so on. As a training technique it is particularly painful and particularly hard work. I've had the joy of doing that on occasion. Speaking to Tim Hodgson when he was training for the London Marathon, he regularly did fartleks and he'd regularly be sick as a result of doing them. Such was the, the physical pressure he was putting on his body in order that he could run faster and further. I think in some way this can give us a bit of an idea of what James is talking about, that in order to achieve the goal of perseverance and maturity, there is something about embracing pain and something about embracing trials that it might push us further on in God. Now, I'm not claiming in any way to fully explain the statement because I find myself a real challenge in this, but James is saying there is something about seeing the end goal and what it produces that allows us to see some element of joy in the trials that we're facing. It's a difficult thing. The only way I can vaguely relate to it is that when we were trying for Isabel, that it was just it was just very hard. Three and a half years, and then um, we were told we'd lose the baby. We didn't. God, miraculously, um, uh, allowed us to survive. But looking back on that time, looking back on that time, I, I would not change will not change it particularly, because in the midst of that, there was a sense of knowing God's faithfulness and his love. That was a joy. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's hard to see it from the outside, I think, and it's hard to convey it. But in the midst of it, and particularly retrospectively, there was a joy in that. Not that I would wish it on anybody particularly. But there is a joy in the intimacy with God, and with going through that with him, that has produced, I believe, a level of perseverance and hopefully some level of maturity in myself and Jules because of that. This is just context to the wisdom passage. So, James is really trying to encourage us to persevere, to count sufferings as joy. But he realizes that we might not be able to do that. And he's keen that we do. And I'm keen that I do. I'm keen that you guys do. And so this is only when we can introduce this wonderful promise from God. This is only when we can bring it into play. When we realize what it's trying to do. And indeed we must, must require the wisdom of God to understand what it means to consider trials pure joy. So the resources of God are now available for us. This is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. And I think it's worth digging into to make sure we really get hold of exactly what it means and how all-encompassing it is. So we're just going to break it down phrase by phrase pick it apart, and make sure we get hold of it. So, first bit, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, I'm not, I've not got the greatest prophetic gift, but I'm pretty confident that within this building here, there isn't anybody who would say, I am totally, utterly, completely wise. Terry Booth? Oh, maybe, maybe. My suspicion is there is no one in that category. Therefore, if anyone lacks wisdom, that's all of us. We're all needing some element of God's wisdom in meaning, speed play. And it is a training technique to increase your stamina and your speed as a runner. So I'm tempted at this point in time to run around the building to demonstrate it, but because I'm kind and because I don't want to damage the time like I won't but the basic concept is, is that you would run at 100% for 100 yards then you drop down to 25% for another 100 and then you'd raise it to 75% for another 100 and so on and so on as a training technique it is particularly painful and particularly hard work i've had the joy of doing that on occasion Speaking to Tim Hodgson when he was training for the London Marathon, he regularly did fartleks, and he'd regularly be sick as a result of doing them. Such was the, the physical pressure he was putting on his body in order that he could run faster and further. I think in some way, this can give us a bit of an idea of what James is talking about, that in order to achieve the goal of perseverance and maturity, there is something about embracing pain and something about embracing trials that it might push us further on in God. Now, I'm not claiming in any way to fully explain the statement because I find myself a real challenge in this, but James is saying there is something about seeing the end goal and what it produces that allows us to see some element of joy in the trials that we're facing. It's a difficult thing. The only way I can vaguely relate to it is that when we were trying for Isabel, that it was just it was just very hard. Three and a half years, and then um, we were told we'd lose the baby. We didn't. God, miraculously, um, uh, allowed us to survive. But looking back on that time, looking back on that time, I, I would not change. We'll not change it particularly, because in the midst of that, there was a sense of knowing God's faithfulness and his love. That was a joy. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's hard to see it from the outside, I think, and it's hard to convey it. But in the midst of it, and particularly retrospectively, there was a joy in that. Not that I would wish it on anybody particularly, But there is a joy in the intimacy with God and with going through that with him that has produced, I believe, a level of perseverance and hopefully some level of maturity in myself and Jules because of that. This is just context to the wisdom passage. So, James is really trying to encourage us to persevere, to count sufferings as joy. But he realizes that we might not be able to do that. And he's keen that we do. And I'm keen that I do. I'm keen that you guys do. And so this is only when we can introduce this wonderful promise from God. This is only when we can bring it into play. When we realize what it's trying to do. And indeed we must must require the wisdom of God to understand what it means to consider trials pure joy. So the resources of God are now available for us. This is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. And I think it's worth digging into to make sure we really get hold of exactly what it means and how all-encompassing it is. So we're just going to break it down phrase by phrase pick it apart, and make sure we get hold of it. So, first bit, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, I'm not, I've not got the greatest prophetic gift, but I'm pretty confident that within this building here, there isn't anybody who would say, I am totally, utterly, completely wise. Terry Booth? Oh, maybe, maybe. My suspicion is there is no one in that category. Therefore, if anyone lacks wisdom, that's all of us. We're all needing some element of God's wisdom in our lives. Where do we go for our wisdom? Self-help books? No. The TV? No. We go to God. You should ask God. You should ask God. We can get some element of wisdom from books, from friends, but actually to get true wisdom in its purest form, the only place we can go to is directly to God. If anyone lacks this wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. I love the Christmas Carol. I love the Muppets Christmas Carol particularly. And in that version, which I think is the authoritative version, there is a scene where the mouse clerks come to Ebenezer Scrooge and say, please, sir, can we have another coal, singular, on the fire? And he grants them that wish. There is no element of generosity in Ebenezer Scrooge. God, thankfully, is not a pre-revelation Ebenezer Scrooge. He's not a pre-Christmas Ebenezer Scrooge. When we ask for wisdom, he's not saying, right, here's your single worth of wisdom. He gives generously. There is a generous amount of wisdom for us from God. And he gives to all without finding fault. Have you been watching The Apprentice? This is the first time this year we've really got into it. And it appears to me that the whole process is about finding faults. It's right, you're not suitable, you're fired. You're not suitable, you're fired. My particular favourite firing was Stuart I loved it. Because the previous week he'd managed to convince Lord Sugar to save him, and then Lord Sugar finds out that he'd lied on his CV, so all he says is, you're fired. He has a rant at him and then fires him. Absolutely loved it. God is not like Lord Sugar. Fortunately for us, Lord Sugar is trying to find faults in order that he can then give a job to someone. God is not trying to find faults so he can restrict his wisdom from you. God gives generously to all without finding faults. Good news. Because if he was finding fault... I'd stay a fool. Most of us would stay fools. And then, James, just to make sure we've got hold of the fact that it's all-encompassing, that God is generous, that he's not going to find fault, he kind of adds this extra phrase, which kind of isn't really necessary, but he wants to ram it home. He says, and it will be given. So just in case you weren't too sure, just in case you'd count yourself out, and it will be given. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, okay, I agree with most of that, but I've asked for that before, and I don't think it's happened. I've prayed for more wisdom, and I don't think it's occurred. My encouragement would be not to doubt. And the reason why I would encourage you is because James then says don't doubt. And we'll come to that in a second, but... What struck me as I read this sentence was that you could easily replace the word wisdom with the word righteousness and you suddenly have a wonderful, pithy explanation of the gospel. And the thing is, we've been given Christ's righteousness as a gift. We've believed God for that and we've received it. So surely we can come to God and ask for wisdom and receive it. You see, our confidence can come from the fact that we know we have the righteousness of Christ. So he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let's say, if anyone lacks righteousness, well, I think, again, we can pretty much all stand in that category. No one is pure. Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short of God's standards. We've not made it. We should ask God. The only place you'll ever get righteousness that is acceptable to God is from God. There's no way we could ever live up to his standards. You can't go anywhere. You can't make penance. You can't try and make up for it. The only way you can be righteous before God and therefore acceptable to him is by asking him for his righteousness, by going to God. And God gives generously. My goodness, does he give generously. Christmas time. The son of God, born as a babe. Jesus grows up 33 years old, lives a pure life, dies on the cross for you and me so that our sins may be paid for, that the righteousness of Jesus may become ours, that our sin, our punishment, all the judgment that was due to us instead moves entirely from ourselves and is placed upon Jesus. His righteousness becomes ours. He gives generously. He gave his son. His Son's righteousness has become ours. We are now acceptable to God. And yes, to all without finding fault. Thankfully, it's based on grace. Not on works, not on efforts, not on how well I've done so far. But it's based upon grace. It's based upon mercy. It's based upon God wanting us as as his own and therefore sending his Son to die for us. And it will be given. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1 very briefly. Just in case you don't believe me. I know most of you here believe me about the righteousness of Christ as being ours. But let's read one of um, of my favorite, when it comes to foolishness and wisdom, one of my favorite passages which also mentions how Jesus' righteousness has become ours. So 1 Corinthians 1, I'll read from verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him... That you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. God has chosen the foolish, chosen us, to shame the wise. God has sent his son to die on the cross for us, That we might receive the wisdom of God. That is the righteousness of Jesus. His holiness becoming ours. Redemption, freedom from slavery to live entirely and totally for Him, that He may be glorified in our lives. God has given us His righteousness, God wants to give us His wisdom. If he is willing to sacrifice his one and only son in order to make us pure and holy before him, acceptable to adopt us into his family, then surely, in that context, he is able and willing and wants to give us wisdom. But I can see that possibly there is still an element of doubt. We need to be convinced of this. And James also knew that in his readers and listeners, there may be an element of doubt about whether this promise will be fulfilled. With fear on her face. But it was a right fear. It was a positive fear. It was, it was my love for her and her fear for me that enabled her to stay safe. You see, if Isabel did not fear me in that circumstance she would have come to harm. God's primary objective is that he gets glorified through us living for him. In order to do that, we must fear the Lord. In other words, we must put his instruction, his desires, at the top of our list. We must say, it's God's will we want. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If you are doubting, if you are lacking wisdom, we need to make sure we're fearing God. Because wisdom is entirely linked to our view and relationship of God. Wisdom is not an abstract concept that sits alone from God. As we talked about before, it's intrinsically from God that we get wisdom. It's to him we come for wisdom, and it's from him that we get it. So if you're worried about being double-minded or doubting... Get a real view of him. Get the word of God. Read that. Understand who he is. Encounter him. In the worship times together, press in to know who he is. Read the words. Read about what he's done. We want to make sure we know who God is. And we fear him. Reverently, awesomely fear him. So as we ask for wisdom from God, what is your expectation? Hopefully, your expectation is that you will receive wisdom. But what does that mean? What does it mean if today you receive wisdom from God? Will, will you look different as you go out the door? Will you suddenly be stroking a beard that has appeared to have the appearance of wisdom? Will you have grey hairs? What will happen if you were to get hold of wisdom? I would suggest that those who are wise... And want more wisdom, spend time in the word of God. Spend time with God. If he is the source of all wisdom, this is the revealed word of God for us, then my my recommendation, my suggestion is actually, as we realize we need wisdom from God, as we ask for it, the thirst comes, I need more of God, I need his wisdom. Well, this book is the wisdom of God unveiled for us. And Proverbs particularly is called the book of wisdom. And in there, we're just going to dip for a little bit to see what it means to be wise or to see elements of wisdom revealed through that book. So if you want to turn to Proverbs, we're just going to skip around there a bit to learn about what we're really asking from God. When we say we want wisdom from God, what are we really asking? And as I do this, I've tried to do it chronologically to save your fingers. Um, It's not quite, but it's roughly speaking chronological, although we'll start in the middle. As we're doing this, as, we, as I've prepared for this, I felt like there was prophetic prompting on some elements of this. And though what we're talking about here now is what it means to ask for wisdom from God, what the reality is of that. I think that the Holy Spirit would want to move amongst this and perhaps convict of sin as well. Because not only is wisdom knowing the difference between right and wrong, doing wrong is sin and therefore requires repentance and turning away from that to pursue God. So as we read these, what we're talking about here really is is what it means to ask for wisdom. What are we after? What does it mean to be wise? But also I feel God may want to just prompt a few things at the same time. So let's turn to 12, chapter 12, almost in the middle, verse 15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. I sometimes have to, um, with, uh, with Isabel, I have to just say, stop, listen with your ears. Because otherwise she just gets on with life and she'll do something silly and she'll hurt herself. I have to, have to stop in order to listen. The wise man takes advice. The wise person takes advice. How open are you to advice? Are you someone who arrives at a conclusion and says, that's it, done, I'm doing that? Or are you someone who seeks the counsel of wise people? When someone makes a comment to you or gives you some feedback, are you the sort of person whose hackles go up and say, that's wrong? Or are you the sort of of person that says, I want to listen to what this person has to say? If we're asking for wisdom, if we want to be wise, we listen to advice. There is a particular sort of advice from a particular sort of person that needs even more attention. And if you're under the age of 18, this may have particular relevance to you. We're starting to get chronological now. If you skip back to the start of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, the particular people we're talking about Our parents. This is what it says in the Bible, the revealed word of God, the wisdom of God, the truth, what God wants to say us today, to young people particularly, it says this. Listen, my son, or daughter, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, you may have arrived at this conclusion in your mind as a young person that your parents are not wise. They are, in fact, foolish. I would suggest if they're in this room, that's an inaccurate assessment because I know every single parent in this room and they're very, very wise indeed. As parents, we need the wisdom of God to help bring our children up. But children, God has given you your parents in order that they may advise you and allow you to grow up to be wise. If you want to be wise, if you want to do what God says... If you want to know the difference between right and wrong, you need to pay particular attention to what your parents say. Some of you are like, oh, thanks, Ben. Merry Christmas. is <laughs> the Bible. It's the wisdom of God. <laughs> it's all right, Beth. I'll take the fiver later, yeah? <laughs> it's what the Bible says. We need to listen to advice. We want to be wise. We need to pay particular attention to what our parents say on both those accounts, it doesn't mean we do exactly what they say. It's all about listening. For children, however, in Ephesians it says, obey your parents. So not only do you need to listen, but there is an obeying you need to do as well. Okay? Let's move on to chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18 says this, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. The wise man or woman pursues their partner actively. Has eyes for one person only. Builds and cherishes their marriage. Does not seek to get refreshment from other fountains, if I can be euphemistic. Satisfaction is found in your partner and not other people. The wisdom of God. If you're asking for wisdom, you're asking for these things. Let's move on to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent or hard-working hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Have you seen the t-shirts called Plain Lazy? They're, like, uh, they're, they're a style of t-shirts, and they, almost, they celebrate laziness. And I have to confess, they do my head in. Now... I'm hoping people here don't have them, and I hope I'm not offending people, but they really do do my head in. For this reason, this reason alone, laziness, laziness is tantamount to sin. It's definitely unwise, it's definitely foolish, and the Bible heartedly recommends steering away from it. Don't be lazy. If you're asking for wisdom, you're asking that God would help you be diligent to work hard. To not be lazy. So if you do have a plain lazy t-shirt, I would highly recommend throwing it on the fire when you get back home or burning it or making some sort of rag out of it because I personally think celebrating laziness is actually pretty ridiculous as Christians. Um, verse 19 in chapter 10. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Now, couples... Married couples don't look at each other at this point in time, okay? It's a dangerous thing to do. Um, Verse 17, chapter 18, chapter 28. Sorry, chapter 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, and discerning if he holds his tongue. Now, if you would like to have the appearance of wisdom and you think you are a fool, my recommendation is to shut up. It's what the Bible says, if that's what you want. Because by opening our mouths, we might reveal our foolishness. Now, really, the the weight of Proverbs is all about listening to advice and being slow to speak. That's what wisdom is. It's actually being aware of the right proportions. And, you know, loads of people have said you've got two ears, one mouth. That's probably about the right ratio. We need to listen to people more than we necessarily speak. If we want to be wise, that's what we're asking for. 16.32. 16.32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. The point here is that the wise, they focus on their holiness, they focus on their walk with God, they focus on their character less that they focus on their exploits or their projects or what they're achieving for God. So for me, my focus should be less on how well Fusion is doing and how good my preaching is, and more on how pure am I walking before God, how much do I love him, how well am I pursuing him, what, what level of sin is in my life. That should be my preoccupation, Not at the expense of other things, but that should be primarily what I'm focused on. And I think for some of us here, perhaps particularly for gentlemen, we can be focused on achieving things for God more than we can be on our character. The wise man has an appropriate focus on our character, walking before God, and doesn't focus entirely purely on exploits. 28 and 27. 27. That's chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty-seven. He who gives to the poor will at nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them and receives many curses. The wise man is generous. We've already referred to Ebenezer Scrooge, the arch- archetypical miser. Do you ever get called Scrooge? Are you a miser? Are you someone who likes to hold things close? Or, in fact, are you someone who is wise and loves to be generous? The wise man, the wise person, is generous. Last one, then. and This, for me, bearing in mind the introduction, this, for me, is the most encouraging part of being wise. Um, Chapter 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There is a dynamic with wisdom, I believe, that as you get, as you receive more wisdom from God, you feel more foolish. Your assessment of yourself is, I am more of a fool than I was before, as you receive more wisdom from God. It's a strange dynamic, but I personally, I I can connect with that, that feels true to me. And as I was referring to before, is that as I get older, I do feel kind of more wise, but more unable, and more and less confident in my judgment in some ways. And so there is something about pursuing God and asking him for his wisdom that will actually make us feel more foolish, but it's a godly thing. Because it says, I'm a fool, I need God. I'm incapable, I must trust him. I can't do it, I've got to go after the resources of heaven. There is something wise about feeling a fool. And it's interesting here as well that it seems like here there's a third category. Often the Bible talks about the, the foolish man and the wise man, but here there is someone who is more foolish than the foolish man. And that's the person who thinks he's wise. So if you're, if you're sitting there at the start of the day thinking, hmm, yeah, I'm pretty wise, you're more foolish than a fool. And it gives me great pleasure to bring that correction from God to you this morning. If you think you are wise, you are more foolish than a fool. That's my Christmas present to you, another insult, particularly if you're under thirty. But I find that encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? For those for those of us who increasingly find ourselves foolish, we're getting more wise. God has given us His wisdom because we're finding ourselves more foolish. So, if we ask for wisdom, those are the things we can expect. We'll want input. We'll listen. We'll be slow to speak. We'll pursue our partner. We'll be diligent and work hard. We'll be self-controlled. We'll look at what our character is rather than our exploits. We'll be generous and we will wonderfully, God-glorifyingly, feel more foolish. Wonderful. So, James, his aim, my aim this morning has been to encourage us To persevere through the trials of life. To attempt in God's grace, through his wisdom, to count them as joy. To realize that to do that, we need the wisdom of God. To get to the full maturity, to persevere, to understand what it means to count trials of pure joy, we need the wisdom of God. God, fortunately for us, is in the habit of giving out wisdom. He's given us his righteousness. He's going to give us his wisdom. He's generous. He's not finding fault. He's not nitpicking today. He wants to give his wisdom to all who believe. So let's not doubt. Let's trust the king of heaven, the one who has given his son for us. Let's trust him that he would give us his wisdom today.